So Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. I'm just going to read that, and we're just going to jump right on in. All right? Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Um, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Pause really quick. Just a quick recap. We Last time we did a sermon, so last Sunday we did a worship service. The Sunday before that we preached uh, we were supposed to go through the rest of Ephesians 1, but we stayed in these two verses. And so just a quick update so that you're aware, just remembering, because everything that I'm going to talk about today is building off these two verses, uh, that it's about the faith and love of the saints. So when God is saying, like, like when Paul is saying, like, I am praying for you, he's praying for them because of their faith and love, right? And so that word faith is pistis, which awesome, uh, which talks about, like, this deep devotion, Right. Like like it's not faith isn't just I believe faith is devotion, like a devoted belief. Right. Uh, I actually like the way Francis Chan puts it. He puts it really well. He says um, he says you only know the verses that you live out. Right. And so devotion is like you can believe the Bible. But if you don't live it, it's not actually faith. Right. At least according to the word faith and what it means, because faith is is belief with action, which uh, not this Wednesday. But next Wednesday, we're actually going to be talking about that because Zach is going to talk to you all about belief in action next Wednesday. Shout out to small groups. Shout out to small groups. Uh, and then also that word for love is agape, right? And so, like, I'm just here to, like, crack. You know, I was so excited to get to talk about that those couple weeks ago because in Christendom, we've, we've bought into the lie that agape is just specifically the love between, that only God can love like that. And Paul literally says, I'm so grateful that you agape each other. Right, and so you know, you've probably been in the church service like, and that's God's love. Sure, it is, right? But the fact is that we can express that kind of love between one another because we are one body. Amen? Kind of even like a throwback to everything I was just talking about, right? Like this deeper level of agape where it ceases to be about me and it, it, and it becomes about us, right? Uh, for, for me to just shift ever so slightly into politics, uh, it, historically speaking, um, communism has always been uh, desired, but in practice, it's never quite worked, right? And so when you see World War II and everything going on, you see a lot of American, uh, European, you see a lot of like journalists writing about how communism is a good thing before the Great War broke out, right? And the reason why um, it, it looks like a good thing is because on paper, it's equal love. We just take care of each other. We just walk with each other. Everyone, no one's lacking every, you know, that only works from a spiritual standpoint because we know that people corrupt easily, right? And so the thing is, is Christians have a tendency to embrace a level of communism. And the truth is, technically, we should be like that towards one another, sacrificing for one another. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, I'm not here to venerate or blow up Communism, because I don't know politics. I just have like my own opinion of someone else's opinion of politics. But I just know that it was catching a big catch because the concept of equal for everyone makes a lot of sense, right? And it's like this equal love where no one is favored. And it's like it's funny uh, because it's only possible with God, yeah. right? Like this concept of a utopian society that's only possible with God. We have tried these things over and over and over again here on earth, and they have always led to corruption, death, and destruction because there's not an infinite source from an infinite God to sustain these kind of things. So the church actually worships an infinite source and an infinite God. And so we are able to sacrifice and love each other to a level that isn't possible because we know our provider will take care of us. Amen? 
So this agape kind of love is important. It's not what we're talking about today, but it is the backbone. Because Paul is literally saying, because of your pistis and because of your agape, right? Because of your faithful devotion and because of your self-sacrificial God-level love, I do not cease to give thanks for you. How do you know that how you carry yourself positively and negatively impacts the people around you? Right? Like, look at Paul. Because of your love. Like, he's so, I, just, I, I, I don't cease to give thanks. He's so inspired by their love and their faith. Right? Which is why the Bible will say certain things, like, be careful who you surround yourself with. Right? That's why it says to not cause your leader grief. Right? It's why it says to not cause parents, don't cause your children to fall into wrath. Right? There's this constant concept of carrying yourself in a way to positively impact the people that you're doing life with. Right? And so Paul is so inspired by this deep level of love that these people had for one another and so inspired by their faith and their devotion to God, he excitedly and continuously prayed. And now it's what we're actually talking about today. Starting with verse 17, and we get into the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. We're just going to pause right there. We're actually going to go verse by verse all the way to verse 23. Here's what I think is actually really, really cool about this. Uh, and that's really important for us to know. Uh, so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Right? So we read that, and uh, another point where scholars are in contention about. Uh, so here's the debate. Is the Spirit here talking about the Holy Spirit? Right? Or is it talking about the fact that God changes our inner man, and that we, from the inside out, begin to have wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him? Right? It's debated. Uh, you can come to your own conclusion. I truly and fully believe it's the second one. I believe as you're reading scripture, what the Bible is saying right now is that God isn't, like God gives us the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that brings our spirit alive. But this word for spirit is talking about the inner man, right? And he's saying that, the, that God, the Father of glory, may give you a true inner person, that you truly are wise and you truly are aware of the revelation and the knowledge of him. Does that make sense? Now, I know like the temptation is to run with it and say the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. It's pretty much indistinguishable, right? I'm only able to have the wisdom because of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, as a Christian, we believe, is alive inside of us. Brings me back to life where I was dead and now I'm alive. I am born again. And now I am capable of having a wise disposition, right? Where I just am wise because the giver of wisdom lives inside of me. Right, And I just am aware of the knowledge of God because the giver of that knowledge is inside of me. So what Paul is dealing with here is that the Holy Spirit and, and God, he changes us so completely. Yes. Not our personalities. You're still going to be you. And some people got hung up on the Holy Spirit thing. It's only possible because of the Holy Spirit. right? I'm just saying what he's talking about is this inner disposition. You know, like I would say absolutely the Spirit's there and it's doing that. Um, but I love it because right here I wrote this. It, it says um, spirit means disposition or attitude right here, uh, that they may know God better. And I love it because it's in the knowing of him. But if we actually continue on to the next verse, uh, verse 18, 
we're going to see that having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, because again, we're still talking about the inner us, right? Having the eyes of our heart. Now, can we agree that the heart's not the Holy Spirit? That's, that's us, right? Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope in which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's a lot of words, and that's a lot of really big and really important words. Uh, so here's what I love. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Um, that means that God wants to open up our eyes to what? Right? That our inner man would be aware of what? He would be aware of the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So there are six riches in the book of Ephesians. And this one is the second of the six. And it says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I think it's easy to read over that and miss that it's very important. And, and here's, here's why it's so important. Because you're not the one getting the inheritance in that verse. God inherited you. Right? And so God is hoping that he's, he's opening up through wisdom and knowledge and revelation. He is opening the highs of their hearts so that they can recognize the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That God wants you to be opened up to the fact that God has you in him. Now, this is actually incredibly encouraging uh, as we kind of go into the main point of this section as Paul is praying. Paul is praying for these people. And he's praying that they would understand that God inherited them. God inherited you. That you are his inheritance. Now, I can crack open this huge, long talk that I really, really want to, but we don't have time for it. Uh, this huge, long talk about what that inheritance means, what that has to do with the spiritual realm. Uh, I would actually say we're going to have a sermon coming up on that later because it gets into it more. Uh, but know this, that the Bible says that God inherited the nations, that you are his people. Um, and I think we can lose sight of that so easy because we live in a day and we live in an age where um, it's so easy to build up walls between us and God yeah. or between us and the person preaching because he corrected us before the message. We can just build up walls, right? And then it can just be this awkward talk that someone could literally, God could be like, I've inherited you and your mind. And we can just deadpan and we could lose the significance of that. We can lose the importance of it. We, we can lose the simple truth that this world doesn't have any claim to you anymore. You don't belong to it. And so when maybe your job isn't acting right, it's okay because you don't actually belong to that anymore. And when maybe your family starts to disown you as you embrace certain aspects of the gospel, you have, you, God will give you that peace as long as you did it right because he inherited you and you're his. Right? And so what God wants to do, and that according to scripture, Paul wants Paul was praying about the fact that their eyes were opened to him. In verse 19 to 23 is where this picks up. And so I'm just going to say for these last 15 minutes, I want to focus in on this. Um, because today's sermon, I, I forgot to say it because there was a lot going on today. It, it's, I was just saying it's the power of God. 
uh, the whole point of today, the whole talk of today is the power of God. This is a topic that I fundamentally believe the enemy attacks the church in more than any other thing. I had a confidence coming into this room today that I felt like was trying to get stripped from me because here's the thing. God is absolutely in control and he is powerful, right? And so it's like whatever it is that downcasts us, that God is strong enough to pull us out of it. Uh, and, and so it's like, I feel like as Christians, we try to break ourselves out of our own bondages. We try to set ourselves free. We try to, we try to run this path on our own. We try to walk the walk of Christianity thinking that somehow it really is on us, and it's not. I think we have to listen to God when he speaks. We have to know that he's guiding us. And so I'm going to read through verse 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 really quick. And I'm going to jump back to 19 and we'll go back through it verse by verse. Because there's one concept being talked about for the rest of this. And it's God's power. Ready? So verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Pause. The context of this is that God inherited you. So he says that I want your eyes to be open to the fact that you're God's. What is the greatness of his power? He's saying no one can take you from God. That no one can keep you from God. That when the enemy said, no, I want this one, God said, no, but that one's mine. Right, And so it's like, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That whole section is a great Bible verse. It's a good memory verse for kids' ministry. I used it for kids' ministry. We would sing a song about it. Because when you tell kids that God is strong, kids go, wow. Like Hulk. And we did. We used the superhero, the Marvel superheroes, because Marvel was really big at that time. It still is, actually. Who am I kidding? Marvel's still big at that time. And we sang our song, Jesus, you're my superhero. You're my star, my best friend. Jesus, you're my superhero. Right? It's like we would sing a song about it, and it was lame, right? But I still think about it sometimes, and I'm like, yeah, he is my superhero. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, but here's the crazy thing. Lessons in kids' ministry, I feel like if we consider them kids' ministry lessons, we're shooting ourselves in the feet. Right? And here's why. Because I think many adults have come to the conclusion that if a pastor comes up, on a stage to his crowd of people with their notebooks, maybe their suits and their ties, and that's not this church, obviously, and maybe their own opinions about everything, and then they say, guys, God is strong. It's like, and? Well, I already know that. Do you know that? Or is it every time a crisis happens in your life, you fall apart because you don't know God's strong? And it might be why it's hard to worship, because we don't get the significance and depth of worship, because God's not strong to us. And maybe it's why it's hard to pray. Maybe the, the, the man in me, and I don't mean male, I mean like human, right, thinks that I can, I can break myself from this situation. But it's like we don't have to. Yeah. So why is it when we tell children that, do God like the Hulk, yo, like, He's just going to come and he's going to break the situation apart and he's going to handle it. Kids will shout and get excited. And then you tell an adult that and they're like, yeah, but who wrote the book of Hebrews? <laughs> right? And it's like, who cares? In the grand scheme of things, who cares about who wrote the book of Hebrews? But in the grand scheme of things, who cares that God is strong? 
well, Pastor, I just want, I wish you would talk about mental health, or I wish you would talk about politics, or I wish you would talk about sin or repentance more. And it's like, yep, we probably should talk about all these things at one point or another, as long as it's undergirded under certain concepts. And one of the core values of Christianity is that God is strong. There are three aspects of God that are undeniable. He is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, and he is ever-present. Those are the three aspects of God that are most important when talking about deity. And he's all, did I say loving? I, no. So it's, yeah, it's all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, and all-loving. Those are the four aspects of God. That, these are like the four spiritual laws of Christianity. If it's not those four things, it's not Yahweh. Right? And so it's like one of the core concepts of all of Christendom is that God is strong. And, and, and we, lose the, we lose the significance of that. Because your politician didn't win the running. Well, this country is lined up against, against this country, and it seems like war is going to break out. It probably will, but you know that God is strong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep reading. Sorry, I know I said I was going to read through all of them, but then I stopped because I got excited. Um, we'll go to verse 20. Uh, and he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Back to Jesus inheriting the kingdoms. Listen, okay, I'm just going to talk about it really quick. So, biblically speaking, you ever hear about principalities? They're over areas. They're in control. That whole thing of like, oh, you know, principalities are interacting with our prayer. And then I always take you guys to Colossians chapter 2, which is that he disarmed the principalities. This is literally what is being dealt with right there. That section is the fact that God is so strong that he disposed of these other beings that were over the land. And he put his son on the throne and he inherited us. So we no longer belong to these other gods, right? We belong to God. But I think the church has become so unsupernatural focused that, again, it's part of a big reason why saying God is strong isn't that big of a deal. Strong against who? There's something crazy like 60% of, Amer- of American Christians don't even believe in a devil. Which is exactly what he wants you to believe. Like, again, Christianity is supernatural. And if you take the supernatural out of it, it's just not Christianity. We talk about principalities, we talk about demons, we talk about these things, and it's like, oh, that, that stuff's weird. Okay. Yeah, that's weird. So Jesus rose from the dead, though? Yeah, absolutely. He's born of a virgin? Absolutely. And that's not weird. <laughs> it's equally as weird. Because this whole thing is supernatural. That's why none of this, what we are just passing through. We don't belong here. I love the Hebrews concept. The world isn't worthy of us. Those of us who walk in faith, the world isn't worthy of us, which is just a baller sentence. Um, So God in his power chose you and put his son in position. Keep going, 21. Here it is, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. What's he talking about? He's talking about the president. He's talking about kings. A little bit, not all of it, though. See, I think we've lost, like, I just, I just want to talk about it. Like, okay, so my son was having night terrors last night, right? And it started to teach me, not last night, a few nights ago. Let me, my wife tells me I exaggerate when I'm preaching sometimes, and I do. Like, little things like that. I'm like, yesterday this, it was like two months ago. Um, a, few, a few weeks ago, my son was having a full-blown panic attack. He woke up. I don't know if you know this. Have you ever seen someone having a panic attack or or he was having like a night terror? When I looked him in the eyes, he wasn't there. Like he was somewhere else. 
right? Like his brain was still waking up and he was terrified and he was kicking stuff and throwing and he wouldn't come to me or my wife and he was doing all this stuff and so I was looking and it was like Titus dude are you okay and like I'm sh I shook him a little bit you know what I'm saying uh, they say they say to, if that happens like put him out in the cold so I like put him in front of a freezer because that was some advice someone gave me and he was gone he was screaming convulsing and I looked at my son and I said in the name of Jesus get back here and he snapped back but fathers have lost that because it's weird how many circumstances in maybe your life just need a thus saith the Lord to it? But God's not powerful enough, so I need to break through it myself. I tried all the human things. Something was wrong. And guess what else I did that was weird after that? We anointed the room. And my wife and I are going to do it again soon. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if this is a one-off. I don't know what's going on, but not in my house. Right? Because I serve a strong God. And again, this stuff can get so uncomfortable for people, but we serve a God who is supernatural. The Bible says that those who are friends with God are enemies to the world. The world will actually hate you. Is that okay? Uh, but keep, but keep going. Uh, 22. And he put all things under his feet. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. The Bible says the earth is God's footstool. You know what I'm saying? Like all those things that we're worried about is like, like a, like a stool. <laughs> and gave him as head over all things, the church. So the Bible says that the people who aren't of God, it says that they were born as children of wrath. Right? And that it's, it's God who sets us free. But he sets us free not as this individual. He sets us free as a part of a new nation. But it's a kingdom, and, and we're waiting for the land to come. Right? And so we follow the laws of the king. We stay together. We are building bricks of this great temple. We are preachers of this great gospel. But the land's not here yet. Right? But we are still free. Wherever I step foot, I do not belong to that place. I belong to a God who is bringing that place soon. So you get to Revelation 22 and it talks about the new Jerusalem comes down. That's the whole heavens and earth being destroyed and brought back together. I know there's a lot of crazy and heavy things. But like, I, man, we live in, I was just saying it during pre-service prayer. Like, I feel like I'm tired of the fact that I live in a time in history that like 30, 40, 50 years from now we're going to be talking about in textbooks. Like, that sucks. I don't want to be a part of that time, right? And it's easy to get sucked in the, the minutia of that. It's easy to get overwhelmed. I feel like every time the news turns on, it's like a new terrible thing. It's overwhelming sometimes. And, and Christians have to find this balance of realizing, I don't belong to this, but I'm going to make this my problem, right? Because they need the gospel, Next verse, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels, fills all in all. So, for a recap, God has immeasurable greatness and power. Amen? Amen. 
towards us who believe. Uh-oh. Because what's, what's he building to? When, when, when Paul was talking about God's greatness and power, he's leading up to this point, right? So towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, so God is mighty, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in heavenly places. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave his head over all things, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So God's might, God's power, God's name, God's dominion, right? Fills us. And so when Paul is praying and he's building this concept of a great God, he's sneaky about it. Because he's you, you guys believe God is strong, right? Absolutely. Y'all believe that God is in control, right? Yeah, absolutely. Y'all believe that Yahweh's on the throne, right? Yeah, absolutely. Did you know that you have all that power? You know what I'm saying? And so when you look at the strength of God, you're supposed to be like, and that's in me? It's a mystery of mysteries that should be mind-blowing. But it's not. It should be. But it's not. But man, it should be. I think I think there's a disposition of Christians. Um, well, we've gotten used to hearing these truths for so long that they don't have power in our lives anymore. And, and I, I've always loved the analogy of Jesus when he's talking about the, the wedding feast and that this king invites everyone. It's an analogy for the Jews, the Jewish people, and that they, they won't come to him. They were invited, but they won't come. And so he goes out to the streets. The king says, you know what? They're not welcome. Go invite anyone in the room. Right, because again, it seems God was just sick of being rejected. Fine. So he goes and he curses the fig tree to represent Israel. 70 years later, not even 20 years later, that temple's going to get destroyed by Titus. Um, it's true, historically. But, and so he's like, no, forget it. Just, just go invite anyone in. And that's us. I'm anyone, right? Like, I finally qualify, right? I wasn't one of the people invited initially, but I'm one of the anyone who's like, what, free food? I'll be there. You know what I'm saying? And so they show up. And so this guy goes out, and he's inviting people. And here's the thing with this analogy. Again, the problem sometimes with parables is we don't understand the culture. So we try to make applications that aren't there, and we ignore things that are there, or we miss little things that aren't mentioned, because why would I know that, right? Um... I saw a meme recently where someone said, like, man, history be taken an L. And someone's like, I'm excited 2,000 years from now for some researcher to try to figure out what this meme even means. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, what happens when, like, some of you didn't even know what it meant, and you're here alive in the time, right? Like, and it's like, imagine, we do that sometimes, read parables, and it basically said history be taken an L, and we're like, 
The L means the light of life. And what, you know what I'm saying? It's like we don't know what it means at all. But if you go to that time, and, time period, if a king or someone had a wedding and they invited you and you didn't have the appropriate attire, it was their responsibility to clothe you. Right? So this king invites everyone in the streets and probably clothes all of them, which is awesome because Paul says put on the new creation. So the analogy is amazing. And, and, and they're, they're out and they come and the king's walking around and people are so excited. They're celebrating his son. They're getting free food, let's face it. And then he sees one guy still dressed in the streets. And he says, what are you doing? And he kicks that guy out <laughs> to the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth which is an analogy for hell. So, but what does this wedding mean? Maybe the guitar. (laughs) (laughs) What does the guitar mean? Uh, So what does this wedding mean? Well, again, it's the ages. It's It's the age of the law. The law, not Allah. Ending... And the church showing up. And hear me. Just because you showed up doesn't mean you get to stay. This isn't encouraging. I know. You can't just be in the room. You have to dress the part. And I know every bone in your body that's like legalism is like wanting to go off. But you cannot stay at the wedding if you want to dress the part. It's not enough to hear of a strong God. You have to worship him. It's not enough to have a conversation in the corner while God is being worshiped. It's not enough to be sitting in the room thinking about how hard your life is when everyone else is praying. Right? This is why I always encourage you guys. If if you're having, like, man, I just can't engage. Go get prayer. Go to a pastor. That's what we're here for. You're not doing this alone. But I think for many of us, we're ignoring that there's a problem. Because they're mundane things, and after all, who can tell me how to live my life? And I think it's crept its way here, too. And I just, I don't want to be a part of that. That's what this church has been. I, I just, I have always wanted this church to be a place where people get discipled. I want to feed the hungry. I want to talk on deeper things. I want to see people in our church laying hands and there actually be healing. I want to hear stories of evangelism, and I want to hear about how your, 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 your co-worker got wrecked by Jesus because you were actually out there preaching instead of trying to fit in. I want to hear about the barista finding the Lord, even though you only had talked to her a couple times. But because you can't do that unless you have power. Because every statistic in the world, here's what it'll say. Well, you have to ask someone five times before they accept Jesus. Yeah, in the flesh. But how many of you know that one moment with the Lord is enough with the Holy Spirit involved? I just don't think we bring him. So we don't bring him for the statistics either. If I could be totally honest, what happened to the blind faith that believed like this person's finding Jesus today? And this is a predominantly young person church. So you had that faith like two years ago, <laughs> right? But again, consider this a wake up call. God, God is strong. And he will save. But again, what did Paul say? But how will they have faith unless somebody preaches? 
It's God's power that saves. Where does the power come from? It's the power within me that comes out as I speak out. Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the inner man comes the outer man. So if the inner me is the power of God, then out from my mouth should come the power of God. But do we believe that anymore? I'm still working on my thing. I don't know. I don't know. Hear this from the heart that it's coming from. You're empowered. Aaron, you're empowered. Don't compromise. You're empowered. Josh, the enemy would love to break you down. You're so anointed. Be empowered. Now, he would love this to be the end, this season to be the end of your fire. Turn it into kindling. Make that flame burn higher in response to the pain. Arze, you are a man after God's own heart. You really, you are sweet, tender, and sensitive. And you have these moments that you use to disqualify yourself with. But God doesn't hold you to moments. He holds you to a son. Listen to me. If God is all-powerful, he could have done things any way that he wanted to do them. But he called us. He called y'all. Your story is only beginning. You're not reaching a crescendo on your life. God's doing more in you. Amen? Pastor John, heart of the church, I stand firm. There's just, like, I could just go, we're small enough, and I could, and, and I kind of am tempted to, but some of you look terrified, so I'm not going to be, be a jerk. But listen, God is speaking to you guys. You know, it's funny, um, Orlin came last week, and he gave us a word, gave us a word, and he said, you have people in your church who are too blunt, and you have people in your church that sugarcoat too much. And he said, and that's okay, let them be them. Some of y'all who are too blunt, people are going to hate you, but preach the gospel. <laughs> Some of you that sugarcoat, the other side's going to think you're lame. I was sitting in, uh, I was getting my hair cut from Tammy, right? She was just telling me stories of all the beautiful things she has seen through God just while cutting hair, just by doing life, right? And, and it's like, to be honest, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on how to preach the gospel. I think it's being true to how God made you, right? Because some of you aren't built to slowly cut hair and build a relationship over time. You're like a will. You just want to go out and just tell everyone the gospel. But some of you aren't built to go scream. Some of you are built to just invade people's lives. But again, like, the power of God gives you license to be you. And I just, I think so often we're trying to put certain things in a box and certain things need to be the thing and certain things need to not be the thing. And it's true, but you need to get alone with God. He'll empower you. Because here, here's the truth. I think this, this church, we've been together for too long with not enough change. I just think there's walls being built up. I think mental health is beginning to get in the way of people's lives. And it's like, then let's shake it up. Let's bring God's power into the mix and mix things up. Let's let there be signs and miracles and wonders. But I've always told you, why would God bring a healing miracle in this room right now? You all know Jesus. You go to like those big things, people are like, we're just praying that God brings down fire. And it's like, yeah, dude brought down fire to save a prophet who was about to be murdered. So go put yourself in that position. The fire will come, I promise. But are you down? Like, are you willing to be in that position? No, the truth is because we don't believe God's strong enough. I think a lot of us are atheists. We just can't admit it yet. 
Like truly, because you don't believe God's going to do anything. Not really. But I love this church too much to just be a place where we gather and pretend like it pleases the Lord. It does, but there needs to be more. Go tell your neighbors. Put yourself in a position where you see God's power. Here's what I promise you. It'll wake you up. This world is ripe for it. We are in, you're basically evangelizing to people who have never heard the gospel at this point. Jesus Christ has been hidden from society, has been hidden from culture. And like you said, they're, my kids, my son, his peers are the first generation in America who are going to be raised without the gospel in some way being in the home. So literally, as my son becomes a middle schooler and high schooler, there's going to be high schoolers who didn't just hear some weird version of Jesus, who likely never even heard of the story of Noah or David and Goliath, who likely never even heard of the cross, maybe had some kind of offhanded conversation with his grandma, but she's crazy anyway, because we're also a generation that doesn't respect our elders anymore. And so it's like this, it's so ripe. But as Jesus said, like, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And, and I wonder when he looks in this church, does he see many workers or a few workers? And I guess... I went over my time. But I guess I'll end on, on asking you a question. Are you brave enough to admit that in your mind God isn't strong, but you want that to change? I don't think in this church I have ever done an actual altar call before but I'm doing one today. And, and Pastor John and, and my wife and Pastor Eric, I'm just going to have pastors in on this today. And, and we're going to sing a song about glorifying God. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to encourage you to fall in love with worship again. It's easy to be hyped when it's hyped. I want, I, want to, I want to encourage you to be honest and just get prayer and actually begin a, a process of saying, okay, God, like, you know what? I guess technically I don't because whenever the bills don't show up right, I, I freak out. You know, I haven't really been preaching the gospel. Maybe I, I don't believe that you're going to show up. And, and guys, it's okay to admit that. I think there's a bravery in admitting that, right? But it's like, let it produce change. Let us break out of our apathy. So dear Lord in heaven, I just pray for every single person in this room. God, I pray that you would show all of us that you are mighty and that you are strong. you are present in the hearts of your people. 
God, that you're going to bring life to these churches in this city. You're going to bring life to Boulevard and excitement and a zeal. God, I pray that you would reawaken that in us. That worship would be a joyful occasion. That prayer wouldn't be something, a box to check. That, that church wouldn't just be an expectation, but God, we would desire. And that our hearts would echo the words of David, how I was glad to be in the house of the Lord. We've got to pray a message like this. It would be received in the heart that it was intended, God, for us to see your brilliance. For us to be encouraged that in spite of our shortcomings and our failings and our weaknesses, God, that you love us and you are here for us and that you lead us to this water that, God, you refresh us. 